Psalm 81, verse 1. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it, at, for it is as a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not, no, not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with the honey from the rock I would satisfy you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I, it's already been introduced a little bit, but I'm Logan Keck. I am a pastor at Center Church, uh, not too far from here in Mooresville. And I'm originally from Winston-Salem, but like Matt mentioned, uh, I spent most of my ministry career so far in Boston, Massachusetts as a church planter. And uh, we came down here in 2020. So just a couple of years ago, at the height of the pandemic, my wife Melissa and I, we moved down with our four kids. And to be honest with you guys, when we came, uh, we came down here in the midst of a season of despair. It was a really tough time. We had been in this church laboring for over a decade, and it was struggling. We had gotten our our butts kicked by some tough church conflict. We were emotionally exhausted. We were ready for a break. And it was tough, though, when we came. In the midst of that transition, it was hard because we were leaving behind our whole church community. We were leaving behind people we loved. We were leaving behind a city we loved. And somewhere in the midst of that season of transition, somebody told me to go and spend some time in Psalm 81. It, it might have actually been Clyde, <laughs> your interim pastor. I can't remember where it came from. Um, but we did that. And ever since then, over the last couple of years, this has been a psalm for me that I have come back to time and time again to bring me back to my senses. This has been a, a psalm that helps me find my place when I'm in one of those seasons of despair. And I don't know a lot about you guys. I don't know a ton about your church. I've, I've heard about it some. I know some people who, who attend here. But I imagine that, that you guys also are in one of those seasons of transition right now. And so I'm hoping that this psalm could be an encouragement for you as well. Um, because it really is a glorious psalm. I don't know if you could catch it while it was being read, but it has some of these great, joyful words at the beginning. It says, sing, shout for joy, blow the trumpet. It is a psalm of celebration. But uh, as we study it this morning, what you're going to find is it's not a celebration of 
how amazing everything is. It's not a celebration about how great everything is going for us, but really it is, it's the kind of celebration that comes only when you see Jesus. It's the kind of celebration you have when you get a clear vision of who he is and what he's doing in your life in the midst of good times or bad times. It is the kind of celebration that comes when we recognize that, that God's promise and that his power in our life are real and they're a lot greater than we think. To me, this psalm is like a cold bucket of water that can wake you up from that sleepy unbelief that tends to creep in on us as we go through the routine of life. So let's jump into it. Let's look at this passage. Um, there's a three points that I want to give you this morning that, that we'll see as we go through it. The first is that there is a lesson in the wilderness. The second point is that the lesson is hard to learn. And finally, God gives us the grace to open wide and believe it. So there's a lesson in the wilderness. The lesson is really difficult to learn, but God gives us the grace to believe it. Okay, Psalm 81, what is this? Uh, this is an interesting psalm because we can kind of pinpoint what it's for, what it's about. And this psalm was written for the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's one of the ones that comes up a lot of times in Scripture. It is one of the major Jewish feasts and festivals. That's the one, if you remember, where they would build the temporary structures, the little booths, and they would kind of camp around them kind of party around them, really, for, for the duration of the festival, and they would celebrate. It was a, a harvest time festival, and they would celebrate God's provision for them. So they, they would remember in those little booths the, the wandering through the wilderness. They would remember all those years where God had been with them in the desert and had always provided them food and water and shelter. They'd look back on those years. That's a pretty useful practice. Do you ever make use of that? Do you ever take a minute sometimes and just look back on your own life and think about the times when God has been faithful to you? Do you ever recount those moments? Recently, I had to do that. Just the other week, we got an unexpectedly large uh, bill from the mechan mechanic that kind of made me freak out a little bit. <laughs> And after telling a kid we were too broke to go to Carowinds that weekend and making them cry, I had to take a minute <laughs> and, and relax. I had to take a minute and, and get my mind straight and, and just recount reality. I had to re refresh myself on my own personal history just to remember that God has never let me starve, <laughs> that God has never let us live in want or need that he's always provided for me. I had to remind myself, even verbally, I had to say, my bank account is not my savior. Jesus is my savior. I had to use that history to gain some perspective. And scripture models this for us a lot. If you read through scripture, you, you see this kind of remembering uh, over and over in the passages of the Old Testament. If you've ever read through the Psalms all the way, You've probably noticed this is especially done with the Exodus experience, with the story of them 
leaving Egypt, and then the years in the wilderness. Those, that gets brought up a ton in the Psalms, doesn't it? And not just the Psalms. Even today, we tend to look back on that image of the wilderness as something we as Christians uh, resonate with. Some of the most popular worship songs today still talk about this idea of being in the wilderness. Maverick City, right? They're one of the biggest worship bands out there right now. And one of their big hit songs is the Isaiah song where he says that God's making waves in the wilderness, that he's making rivers in the desert, right, from Isaiah 43. It's something that we kind of understand what it means. Why is that? Well, it's because, in a sense, life is a wilderness. In a sense, our life experience is a wilderness experience. And when we read through these psalms, that's why we cling to them. That's why when we hear about the wilderness, it strikes a chord in our heart. Because even if we've never stepped foot in the desert, even if, if we've never had one moment on, on top of that hot sand, we know what it's like to be in the wilderness, don't we? We know what it's like to feel empty and dry. We know what it's like to feel afraid and alone. We know what it's like to be worried and stressed about the future. We know what it's like to be in the wilderness, to be stressed out, to feel like the future is outside of our control. Have you ever thought about what it would have been like to be the Israelites who had been enslaved in Egypt for centuries, for generations? They were in this prosperous community, but they had to watch everybody else around them enjoying success, enjoying wealth, enjoying freedom. They spent hundreds of years longing for it pleading for it, begging for God to deliver them out of this horrible situation. They're always hoping for that day, that one day they'd be lifted up, that they could enjoy that same kind of freedom that they saw everybody else around them having. And then God does it. Verse 6, he, God talks about it. He says, I relieved your shoulder of the burden." Your hands were freed from the basket. Finally, the day had come. They were out of slavery. But where did God take them? Where did they go immediately after that? The desert. They went into the wilderness. He took them from this really fertile area, this place where everything could grow around the, the, the edges of the Nile River, to a place that was swelteringly hot in the daytime, freezing cold in the nighttime, where the ground could not sustain or grow anything, where they lived in temporary shelters, where they could never get comfortable or rest. Why did he do that? Why did he bring them there? Well, that's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. That's what they were celebrating. He brought them there to teach them the lesson that he would provide. That God was the one who would provide for them. That he was going to be their God 
and they were going to be his people. He was showing them that the things of this world, those temporary fleeting things, those, those things cannot satisfy. But he can. Now, how many times do we have to learn that lesson? Right? When our family moved out of Boston a couple of years ago, there was a story that I was telling to myself. I was saying, you know, God is, he's taken us out of the wilderness. This is a season of rest that we're headed into. Here we go. This is the time to recharge and recuperate. This is the time that he's given us so that we can get back on our feet and get healthy. It's going to be a season of blessing. Here we go. We're going to have a house with a yard, some fresh air, good barbecue, everything we need to survive. But some of that was true, right? Some of us, we got some good relief. We had some new rhythms that were built in. But in some ways, it was just like moving out of the frying pan into the fire. We found out that as soon as we got to Mooresville, wow, we really didn't fit there. It was major culture shock after spending 15 years in New England. And I was employed. I had to go straight back into the church and deal with all the things that happen in the life of a church. I found out pretty quickly that North Carolina wasn't going to save us. That's the message here. The wilderness, this whole world is a wilderness. It can't sustain you. And there's lots of things out there, you know, lots of things out there that act like they can. It's tempting to think that maybe this time they will, right? A little bit more money, a little bit more success, some new shiny stuff. We think, well, maybe this time it's going to fill up the void. Or at the end of the long day, you think, well, where's my soul going to find rest? Well, it's going to find rest on this couch, binging Netflix for hours. It's going to find rest in this extra beer, two or three but you know, it's a lie. All that stuff, it, it fills your time, maybe. But it leaves you feeling emptier than you were before. That's the lesson. The world is a wilderness. And there's only one who can sustain us. There's only one who can feed us. There's only one who is big enough to meet those deep-down, heart-level needs that you have. And it's Jesus. That's the lesson of the wilderness. But the second point is it's a difficult lesson to learn, isn't it? In verse 8, the psalmist says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange gods among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign god. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so, so far, what this psalm is telling us is that God heard the cries of the enslaved people in Israel he gave them the freedom that they longed for, but still, they didn't listen to him. Still, they worshiped other gods. And if you're going with the flow of the passage, 
during the midst of this rebuke, it seems like it might be the moment where he's going to bring the smackdown. It seems like the moment where God's going to come and he's going to set things right. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do those words sound familiar? Do you remember them? Anybody? Where else do we see those? You guys are good Presbyterians. Somebody can tell me. Anybody? Exodus. It's the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Right after that, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's how it goes. But how does it go in this passage? Here he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Man, that is, that is good stuff right there. That is God's message for his people in the wilderness. That's his message to them. And folks, that is, that's his message to you. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. That is what he is saying to you. That's what he's saying to us in our discontent, in our dryness. That is what he's saying to you while you're running yourself ragged, trying to do everything by yourself. He is saying, let me feed you. Let me fill you up. Psalm 63. David, do you remember he says, my soul will be satisfied with fat, as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. That's how God wants to meet you today. Jesus, in John chapter 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that you would have life and have it abundantly, that you'd be filled up that's what your heavenly father wants for you. He wants to see your soul satisfied. So why isn't it? Well, maybe, maybe one reason is because we won't open our mouths. That's the command in this verse, right? Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But that's not how we live most of the time, is it? We don't live like people who are expecting great things from a great God. We don't live like a people who believe we have a, a father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Remember John 14, Jesus says, I will never leave you as orphans. He promised it. He, he stated it. That is a fact. He won't do it. But isn't that exactly how we live? Like orphans. We profess this robust theology. We lift up the, the Westminster Catechism and all that it says about having this great, big, sovereign God. He created everything. He upholds everything. He governs every creature and every action. He is infinitely good and powerful. We pray to him and we say that he is our Father in heaven. 
And then, how do we live? We live like orphans. I wish I was up here and I could share these, this message with you and say, well, I'm telling you this because I've learned this lesson. <laughs> and and I, come with me and I'll show you the way. But the truth is, this is a lesson I'm still learning every week. This is a picture of me more often than not. When I get hit with a stressful situation, I look to myself most of the time. That's my gut reaction. That's my, my knee-jerk instinct. Somebody calls me out for doing something wrong, well, I go to defend myself because it's all up to me. There's a crisis at work. Well, I lay awake at night and I, I worry and I, 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 I fret and I try to come up with a plan to fix it because it's all up to me. My kids get into some kind of trouble and, and I start looking for a way to control the situation. Make some new rules in the house. Get a new devotional practice going. But whatever it is, I've got to fix it. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Clyde and I was telling him about the plans that I have for this church where I'm working. It's a 255-year-old church and they have brought me in to try to revitalize it. And I'm sharing about all these plans and, and ideas that I, that I have and all these different variables and these people I have to persuade. And, and, and I was expressing some of my angst and my anxiety about, is, is this going to work? What do we need to do? And he looked at me through the lens of the Zoom camera. And he said, brother, I wish you could hear yourself. You're such an orphan. You think you need to have control over all of it. He said, but what you really need to do is be still. You need to pray. You need to wait. That's what God means when he says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It seems so simple, right? It seems so easy, but, but the, in our sin, it is extremely hard to do. It is hard to learn. The instinct is to turn back to ourselves. Read this, verse 11, it says, he says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. The people of Israel, after 40 years of daily provision for every need they had, still could not learn the lesson. A friend of mine adopted some children uh, that were uh, a little bit older when he adopted them. And after a while, they were diagnosed with attachment disorder. And the mother was sharing a story about how one day she was going through the house and she was cleaning their rooms and in a chest at the foot of their bed, she opened it up and found that it was full of all this prepackaged food. That the kids, after years of having lived with them and being loved by them, had been hoarding food 
preparing for the day when they were going to be kicked out. They couldn't believe that their parents were going to really provide. They couldn't believe that they really were loved. The enemy wants us to think we're orphans. His voice is always in our ear. That is his voice, lurking and, and saying those things, saying, it's all up to you. You better fix this mess. You better get things under control or it's all going to fall apart. You're on your own. But that's not what God says. God says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He says, put yourself in a posture to receive. Realize how dependent you really are. Realize that your ability to control anything in this life is a complete illusion. This world is a wilderness. It cannot sustain you. But folks, we have a God who can. If we'll just listen, if we'll just stop, if we'll just surrender. Jesus can satisfy us, but it's a hard lesson to learn. But the good news is that God gives us the grace we need to open wide. The last line of our psalm this morning, it says, if our pe my people would just listen to me, then he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. So that line, that picture of honey from the rock, that's alluding to these moments in the wilderness when God provided for the Israelites by giving water from the rock. But it's not water here. It's honey. It's, it's a picture of something even better. And these aren't the psalmist's original words. He's actually quoting back uh, from Moses himself. Moses, at the end of his life, he recites this beautiful song at the end of Deuteronomy. And in that song, he's the first one to say that God is the rock. And he says that he uses this image of honey from the rock to describe how God provided for them, how God was merciful for them. And sometimes when we think about the life of Moses, we forget how it ended. But Moses never made it to the promised land. Do you remember that? He made it up to the edge. He got a glimpse. But Moses never made it there. He died in the wilderness. Moses died in the desert. But do you know that in the midst of that, Moses knew God like nobody else? That's the image of honey from the rock. See, God giving us honey from the rock, it doesn't mean that if you listen to God and obey God and do the right things, then he's just going to give you everything you want. We know that's not how life works. We know this world is hard. That there's going to be pain and there's going to be suffering. 
There's going to be shocks. There's going to be sorrows. Things don't go the way we expect, right? Pastors leave. Churches change. But what he's saying is, in the midst of that, in the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of that challenge, if you will open your mouth, if you will draw near to God, then even in your toughest moments, even in the midst of the biggest obstacles, even in the midst of the most painful and difficult trials you have to walk through, those things, he can transform them into places of sweetness. When we suffer and we draw near to Jesus, he makes us more like Jesus. When we struggle and we run to God instead of away from him, then we end up meeting him in ways we never could otherwise. You know this, right? That's where we grow. In the wilderness, in the hard times, that is where we grow in wisdom. That is where we grow in faith. That is where we grow in patience. That's where we grow in love. I know it. The wilderness, it seems terrifying. It seems desolate. It seems miserable. But it is actually the place where we see God the clearest. It's the place where he brings us honey from the rock. And you know, the ultimate example of that is the gospel itself, isn't it? That in the most difficult and miserable situation, that in the death of Christ, the most hopeless moment that this universe has ever seen, God brought about life for the world. That what seemed like a, the final defeat actually was the source of the ultimate victory. That's the good news, right? On the cross, Jesus, he took the punishment for all of that unbelief that's inside of us. That on the cross, Jesus, the one and only Son of God, was treated like an orphan in our place. He was cast out. He was left on his own to fend for himself so that you and I never would be. Christ really is this promise of God in the flesh. Even Paul says it, right? He says that the rock is Christ in 1 Corinthians. And that means that by his blood, you and I, who were, we used to be exiles and outsiders, we used to be strangers and aliens, now we're sons and daughters. Because of his sacrifice, now there is a guaranteed feast for us. There is a constant flow of grace and mercy coming our way. So we know that we're always welcome before God. Not because we've been faithful in the wilderness, but because he has. So the question I want to end with is simply, do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to give you honey from the rock? You've been through some hard stuff here lately. A couple years of pandemic, a pastor change, I'm sure all the chaos that comes about as a result of that. You're in the wilderness, and I don't even know what's going on in your personal lives. But let me ask you, in that wilderness, what are you expecting? 
Why has God brought you here if not to meet you? And if he's here to meet you, then the invitation is simple. It's this. Open your mouth and open it wide. Open it with expectation. Put yourself in that posture of receiving. Be like baby birds in the nest with their necks stretched out, with their, with their beaks pulled apart, knowing that without a doubt the food is on the way because it is. We have a God who says he is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. That is your God. So open your mouth. Let him fill it with joy, with peace, with love, with provision for your soul. With honey from the rock, he will satisfy you. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your promises. We're thankful for your provision. Lord, we recognize that we often ignore these great and precious promises you give to us, that, that we live with such small faith. We turn to ourselves before we turn to you. But Lord, we seek you in the wilderness of our lives and we ask God that you would feed us, that you would transform us, that you would make us more like you, that you would make us expectant, that you will do great things. And I pray for this church, Lord, in this season of transition, that this would be a glorious story of your redemptive power and work. We pray in Christ's name.